Revelation chapter 6, we come to, and I'm going to read down a few verses, what people call the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And uh, that's a uh, term that's become familiar. You'll see it on the cover of Time magazine, or you'll see it somewhere you know, in the news. You'll see it here and there. Uh, but it isn't just an interesting uh, phrase. It is a current reality. And it has to have impact on our lives. So let me read through the four horsemen. We're just going to look at the first horseman today, but let me read down. It says in chapter 6, verse 1, And I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder, one of the four living creatures, saying, Come and see. And I saw, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. And when he had opened the second seal, I heard the second living one say, Come and see. And there went out another horse that was red, and power notice was given him, that sat thereon to take peace from the earth, that they should kill one another. And there was given unto him a great sword. And when he had opened the third seal, I heard the third living one say, Come and see. And I beheld, and lo, a black horse. And he that sat on him had a pair of balances in his hand, and I heard a voice in the midst of the four living ones say, A measure of wheat for a penny, and three measures of barley for a penny. But see, thou hurt not the oil and the wine. And when he had opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living one say, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse. And his name that sat on him was Death, and Hell followed him. And power was given unto him over the fourth part of the earth to kill with the sword and with hunger and with death and with the beasts of the earth. So these four horsemen of the apocalypse ride forth. They ride forth. Now look. As we've studied Revelation, chapters 2 and 3, chapter 1 gives us John's vision. Then the Lord says, now write the things that are, those are the seven churches. Chapters 2 and 3, the seven churches cover 2,000 years. Now, chapter 6 to 19 cover seven years. Imagine that. Two chapters, 2,000 years. Now, chapter 6 to 19, all those chapters cover a seven-year period. So, we are not wanting for details and a description of that seven-year period, which I believe is Daniel's 70th week. So as, as we look at this, take note in chapter 6, 16 verses in a row say, and, and, and. If you look at it, because the succession is remarkable and is fast. 
So the, the thought in the, in the Greek, kai, 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 and, 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 as we go through and we see these things. And it begins here with the lamb in his redemptive form opening the seals. He's the only one found worthy. So he's loosening the seals. He looses the seal. doesn't say anybody reads what's in the, the scroll as it opens. As the scroll opens, John sees and hears. It rises off the page. Hard to be dogmatic. Interesting as we get a chance to look at this. Though only the first living creature, when he speaks, is their thunder. It's, it's only the white horse that's preceded by thunder. It's almost as though in the summer when you, you know, sometimes you can like smell that rain. The sky turns dark and you can hear the thunder in the distance. And I think we're supposed to. I think we're supposed to hear that thunder as it rolls into these four horsemen in this last great era of human history and the judgment of Almighty God on those who would reject him and his son, Jesus Christ. We should hear those rumblings. They're all around us. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21, tell us this. Jesus said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. Matthew, Mark, Luke, deception is the first thing that they are warned of. Jesus in each place. Take heed that no man deceive you, because you sh- um, many shall come in my name, saying, I am the Christ. They're going to claim to be the Messiah. The Antichrist, the instead of Christ, will do that. Saying, I am the Christ, and shall deceive many. And you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you be not troubled. You can underline that in your Bible when you get a chance. See that you be not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nations shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And there shall be famines, which always follow war. And pestilences, which follow famines, earthquakes in diverse places. Then he says, all of these are the beginning of sorrows, the beginning of birth pains. Uh, You have that word uh, again in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, the first few verses. It says it'll come as a woman on travail. It's the same Greek word. This is what it's saying here. Uh, they, they said, what is the sign of your coming, the end of the age? And he said, well, this is, this is, these are the things that are going to line up. The picture he gives us here, he says, is the beginning of sorrows, the beginning of birth pains. Luke in 21, 28 says, when you see these things begin to come to pass, lift up your heads for your redemption draweth nigh. When you see them beginning, because these are signs proper once they are in the great tribulation, in the tribulation period. But they are rumbling around us now. Look, when we get to the tribulation period, the church is gone. We've studied that. Come in. The rapture takes place, pandemonium in the world, and then everybody's looking for somebody on a white horse. 
Everybody needs a Messiah. Everybody needs the Lone Ranger. Everybody needs a hero to come, a deliverer to come. And the Antichrist will step into the scene. And he comes in a deceptive way as a man of peace. We know he does that because the second horse is given authority to take peace from the earth. So the first horse must establish peace that is taken by the second horse. And we know that he'll establish a seven-year peace treaty with Israel. We'll come back to that. So here, deception is the first thing we see. Then war, then famine, then pestilence. Look. All that we're seeing today around us is the restrained version of that. Deception is all around us. Communism, socialism, that's anti-Christ, both of those systems. It'll be manifest in one person at some point, but the spirit of anti-Christ. Communism is what's yours is mine. Capitalism is what's mine is mine. Christianity is what's mine is yours. And the other two systems are deceiving in that they never fulfill. They never deliver what they promise. That surrounds us. Situational ethics surround us. That you determine in the situation what's ethical so you can do whatever you want to do. Moral freedom. Our children now deciding when they're six years old what gender they should have been born. You know, all of this evolution taught in the schools. It's godless. It's godless. We are surrounded with deception. It's become the mainstay of our culture, and it has almost become normal in so many ways. So ultimately, when this white horse comes forth, this great deception comes. He will be followed, after his false peace, by war, by famine, by pestilence. Now look, what we're seeing now, it says, is the beginning of sorrows. These are the Braxton Hicks contractions. All you ladies know what I'm talking about. Uh, We've been through that, my wife and I, four times. She was through it a little bit more than I was through it, but I went through it with her, you know. And, uh, you know, in the beginning, you know, is it psychological pregnancy? Is it, you know, just, you know, when you get, you know, there, it's no longer psychological pregnancy, very obvious. But then then the process is, oh, are these contractions? No, those are Braxton Hicks contractions. I mean, it's not yet, you know, we're not ready to go yet. And here... In this scene that Matthew, Mark, and Luke speak to us about, these are Braxton Hicks contractions. This is not really yet delivery. It's not really yet, you know, the full birth pangs. He says they're the beginning of them. So are they signs not in the sense that they will be during the tribulation, but you and I are told to look and see things that are going on around us And to respond biblically to those things. Because here's the deal. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 8 tells us when the restrainer removes, the first mention of him is neuter, the second one is masculine. When he removes himself, now the Holy Spirit will step back in his restraining work. People try to say, well, no, no one can get saved. It doesn't say in his saving work, in his redemptive work, in his restraining work. The deception we see in the world today is restrained. 
Wars and rumors of wars, what we're seeing around the state, it's the restrained version. Famines, so many of them are managed to get money to buy weapons. The famines around us in the world, this is the restrained version. Pestilence, murine in the Old Testament, it's animal infections that cross over to human beings. Isn't that interesting? COVID-19 is the restrained version. I talked to one of my docs at University of Pennsylvania, and he said, he said, I'm glad this ain't Ebola or I'd be a church. I said, you need to be a church anyway, whether it's Ebola or not, you know. All restrained. Second Thessalonians says, but when the restrainer, the Holy Spirit removes himself in that sense, people are still going to get saved. Revelation 7, we get their multitudes get saved and are martyred. But when the Holy Spirit removes himself in his restraining work, then the Antichrist is revealed. Then the white horse comes without restraint, warned about you know, false Christ, false messiahs. Then it comes forth in its full. When the Holy Spirit stops restraining, then war comes forth without restraint. Famine comes forth without restraint. Pestilence. So much so that it says after these four horsemen ride, they take one-fourth of the world's population. That's almost two billion people. Listen, that's all of South America, all of Central America, all of Mexico, all of the United States, all of Canada, and all of Western Europe without a single human being, if you can imagine that. That's one-fourth of the world's population. Not it'll, it'll be spread out, but just so you get an idea. This is the first half of the trip. So people who say, well, it's not the tribulation. It's no, it's, you know, it's, it's no ride on the first half. You know, this is the two prophets tormented all of those who live on the face of the earth for the first three and a half years. So second half, three and a half years, more properly, the great tribulation. The whole period is the tribulation period. That tribulation period begins here in chapter six. The church is raptured. Imagine what will happen in this world when all of a sudden that many... First of all, it means the light and the salt will be gone. You know, you and I are part of the restraining force in the world. Socialism, so anti-Christ, communism, they want us out of it. They know the only threat to their systems is a free church. Imagine what happens when the church is gone. No light, no salt. And then, of course, it opens the door for this Antichrist to come forward. He rides forth unrestrained. There's no more restraint on deception at this point in time. Second Thessalonians says, because they will not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved, they're given over to believe, definite article, the lie. A specific lie will overtake the world. As this Antichrist rides forth one of the things he does, it's, it says, now we'll go through a little bit of frick frack here. The voice of thunder, and then one of the living ones said, come and see. I, King James, your translation might say, just come. The, uh, the only issue that quote-unquote scholars make with that is, if it just says come, and a lot of manuscripts, Greek manuscripts, just say come. So what they say then, if, it's, if, the, if the cherubim's just saying come, he may be speaking to the white horse. If he's saying, come and see, and there are manuscripts that say that, then he's talking to John. 
So you have to decide, is he talking to the white horse or is he talking to John? Yes. I can't believe they make an issue about him. Of course he's talking to the white horse because the white horse comes forward. But he's talking to John because he told John at the beginning, write down the things that you see. You know, just so the, the, I, I watch these guys argue and I think this is like Chinese water torture. That's probably politically incorrect to say that. I don't know, but you know. <laughs> You know, this is like getting pecked to death by a duck, you know, watching these guys try to sort this stuff out. Come and see, verse 2, and I saw, I perceived, I didn't just look at, and behold, that's a present imperative. You have to look at this and think about it, a white horse. Now, here they go again. This is where the debate begins. The white horse. Is the white horse... Jesus Christ, or is the white horse the gospel? Is the white horse the effect of the church? Is the white horse the antichrist? Well, I will give you my own distorted opinion. I don't think the white horse is Jesus Christ, because Jesus normally isn't followed by war, famine, and pestilence wherever he goes. I don't think that the first source is the gospel, because that isn't either, and is personified here. I think we have a picture of the Antichrist, because we know he comes forward as a man of peace. The only similarity between him and Jesus is they're both coming on white horses. I'm sure that Jesus is much nicer. But if you go to chapter 19 of Revelation, you know, we have here this rider come forth with a bow, no arrows. Jesus comes forward with a mighty sword. Here we have this rider comes forward with a Stephanos, and it says this crown was given to him, God's in control. A Stephanos, which is the, the victor's crown. Jesus in chapter 19, when he comes on his white horse, has many royal diadems on his head, the, 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 the crowns of kings. This one, when he comes forth, he's followed by war and destruction. Jesus, when he comes forth, is followed by victory and an age of peace. This horse, when he comes forward, begins the tribulation. Jesus, when he comes forth, ends the tribulation. So you, you, you have to torture yourself, you know. Usually if you torture a text long enough, you can get it to confess to anything. But if you just read it and believe it, the, the, you can't correlate those two. I believe this is the Antichrist coming forward. I saw, behold, a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow, it's a weapon of war, no arrows mentioned, and a crown, a Stephanos, notice this, was Given that phrase is used in Revelation chapter 9 and Revelation 13, and it's always talking about granting permission, where God Almighty allows things to happen. There is given to him this crown by permission of God. And it tells us as we move into this terrible time in human history that God's still on the throne, He's still sovereign, He's still omnipotent, He is still in control. The crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering to conquer. So look, um, some say, well, it can't be the Antichrist because it's kind of a person there. 
And on the red horse, it says he that sat, but that's probably just war, not a person. Black horse, he, but that's probably famine. It's not a person, just, you know. Well, I don't have any problem with that. Because when Jesus warned about, you know, take heed that you're not deceived, many will come in my name, saying I am Christ. He's talking about a person. Then when he says that will be followed by war, famine, and pestilence, they ain't persons. So I have no problem with that coming to its maturity here with the whole period being introduced by a deceiver, a person, and then what follows his deception as, and is connected to his deception is war, famine, pestilence, and so forth. This deceiver will come forth. Now, just my own distorted opinion. I believe the rapture of the church, it'll cause pandemonium, but understand radical Islam is not going to be affected by the rapture. Most of Putin's forces will not be affected by the rapture. The Antichrist, it says in Daniel 9, will be recognizable because he will sign a seven-year peace treaty with Israel, guaranteeing peace to Israel and Jerusalem. Nobody can come out of Europe today to guarantee Israel peace for seven years, not with Russia and Islam sitting on their front porch. 13 trillion cubic feet of natural gas, oil, everything that would, you know, Putin would say, you guys take what you want. I just want that. You know, I just want this. But they're not moving on Israel because big brothers here. Us. And we're probably two to three decades ahead of them in space and two to three decades ahead of them under the water in our technology. And they know it. But. If the rapture happens, how many Americans disappear? What kind of disarray does it cause here? That would certainly be the incendiary part of this so that then they feel free to move into that part of the world. And it says when they do that, all but the hinder six of their forces will be destroyed on the mountains of Israel. That breaks the back of radical Islam and of the Russian forces then someone can step out of Europe because the whole world is shaken with a seven-year peace plan that everybody's going to say, it's good with me. Whatever you got to do to stop the madness. You know, I'm driving home with my kid in the car, my kids, and then on the radio it says there's ICBMs coming over the North Pole, which take 20 to 25 minutes to get here. It takes eight minutes to figure out whether they're real, eight to 10 minutes. So you got 12 minutes to go home, go on the second floor, kiss yourself goodbye in the mirror. You know, with that kind of panic and that kind of threat, everybody's going to say, whatever you got to do, bring peace, whatever has happened. And this guy rides onto the scene. The Lone Ranger shows up on his white horse. It tells us in Daniel chapter 8, speaking of the Antichrist, and in the latter time of their kingdom, when the transgressors are come to a full, a king of fierce countenance and understanding dark sentences shall stand up, and his power shall be mighty. But not by his own power. There was given him a crown, we just read. And he shall destroy wonderfully and shall prosper and shall practice and shall destroy the mighty and the holy people. He's ultimately going to kill the Jews. And through his policy also he shall cause craft to prosper in his hand. And he shall magnify himself in his heart and by peace shall destroy many. 
He shall also stand up against the prince of princes, but he shall be broken without hand. So Daniel chapter 8 tells us the Antichrist, his plan and his power will be exercised by peace. He's going to deceive many. That's how he comes on the scene. No arrows, man of peace, a crown, a white horse coming on the scene. Look, right now with this pandemic, again, this is the first time since World War II that the whole world has been engaged in a battle. And you see people so desperate, just Pfizer, we'll, we'll bow down and worship anybody, just get us out of this mess. Well, I understand, you know, but everybody's kind of in a panic. You can imagine if the panic is global, it's military, it's economic, it's in regards to disease, nation against nation, that somebody stands up who's genius, who's good-looking, GQ, who speaks many languages, he can argue with anybody in their dialect. You know, he's got it all down, and everybody wonders, wow. Because all through when it describes the Antichrist, it says he has this mouth speaking great things. The mouth. James tells that, that the world, you know, the tongue is set on fire of hell. The tongue promotes abortion. The tongue promotes racism. The tongue promotes hatred. The tongue promotes socialism and communism. The tongue you know, well, he's going to show on the scene speaking great things, this, the mouth. He's the almighty mouth. And he's going to come on the scene deceiving many. Look, you guys, we're here this morning together. It's not okay just for us to study prophecy together again. Many have been through Revelation with us before. Look what's happening in the world. It has to mean something to us now. It has to. It isn't enough just to say there's signs. Signs are given to be recognized. And then when they're recognized, what is that supposed to do in our lives? That's the issue. What is it supposed to do in our lives? You guys looking around the world, you see any of this? The rumblings of it? Deception? Anybody see any rumblings of that? War, any rumblings of that? Famine, any rumblings of that? Deadly infectious diseases, any rumblings of that? It's rumbling around us, still restrained. But it's to be recognized. That's why they're called signs. Look, Jesus is ultimately going to say, look, you know, when the fig tree puts forth its blossoms, you know that summer is nigh. Just in the natural. I think there's more involved there. But just you recognize in the spring, seasons are changing. Buds come. Summer's coming. You and I are supposed to be different than this world. This world's talking about a long, dark winter. We're talking about spring. As soon as we see things budding for us, we know our Messiah is ready to show up at the door. Right? Jesus said, when you see these things, you know I'm at the door. That's good news. But what do we do in the meantime? How do we relate to all that? Look, just I'll give you some things. And on your own, I'm sure you can find more. David Jeremiah in his book, Signs, and Kathy's going to do that with the ladies' ministry here. We offered extras, you know, in the next couple weeks, anybody who wants to get them. 
It's a great book. It's called Signs. But at the end, he lists some things. I list more, but he lists some of these things. He says, he says this is one of the things that we should realize when it comes to the ed- end of the age, that we shouldn't be judging one another. Um, Paul will say this, Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts. Then shall every man have praise of God. So let's not be too hard on each other. When he gets here, everything's going to get straightened out. You know, there are things you don't like about me. I can reciprocate. You know, listen, we're living under a lot of pressure, and sometimes the pressure is so much on us in a day that everything's a straw that breaks the camel's back. I don't know about you guys. Personally, I have been experiencing more warfare than I ever have in my life, directed against me personally, all around me in the world. And I can be crabby. Don McClure used to say, you know, I used to wake up crabby. Now I let her sleep. <laughs> you know, but the pressure, you know. And the Lord's saying, all right, you see these signs? You're realizing you're at the end of the age? Don't be too hard on one another. That's something that you need to take into consideration. It says that we should remember the Lord's table. As often as you break this bread and drink this cup, you do show forth, you preach the Lord's death until he comes. One of the things that it says to you and I is we should make sure and make it to the Lord's table. There's something there that speaks to our heart, something there that's healthy for us. And when we do that, we do show forth the Lord's death until he comes. You aim your affections. This is important, I think. Your affections, your, your longings, your heart's desire. Man is driven by desire, not by intellect. Some of the smartest people I know do some of the most stupid things I ever heard of. You know, I have an excuse. I do stupid things because I am stupid. But some of the smartest people I know. That's because what drives a human being is the heart. It's the desire. It isn't the intellect. The heart will always make a convert of the mind. If you let that heart play where it shouldn't play... Ultimately, the intellect makes excuses to get in league with it. So you, it says, guard your heart with all diligence. From it flows the issues of life, not from the brain. It says this. Set your affections on things above, not on things of the earth. Where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. You know, it says, because your life is hid with Christ. And when he returns, you'll appear in glory with him. So it says to us, set your affections. You can aim your affections. If you just let your affections go, they're going to want more of this and more of that. And some of the things are not bad. You know, the Lord daily loads us with benefits. I'm thankful for my home. I'm thankful for things. But if, if that is the source of my fulfillment, I'm going to end up to be a miserable character. This says one of the things we should do as we're thinking about the Lord's return and we see signs around us is set your affections on things above. That's where your life is hid. That's where you're going to come in glory with Jesus Christ. Okay? Okay? It's just something that the scripture says to us. 
it says that in regards to the Lord's coming, we can comfort the bereaved. You know, people are broken heart. You know, Jerry and I, you know, talking since the Lord took Kathy. I said, Jerry, what could be more important now than the church? He said, there's nothing for me personally more important now than church, than coming to meet with the saints. And, and Paul says, you know, I don't want you to be ignorant concerning those who sleep, that you sorrow not, even as others who have no hope. You know, we, we believe the Lord himself is going to descend with a shout, the voice of the archangel, the trump of God. Then, then those who are passed on are going to rise first. Then we're going to be caught up together to meet them in the clouds. So shall we ever be with the Lord. Then it says, comfort one another with these words. If you really believe he's coming soon, let that be medicine for the people that are around you that are broken and are hurting. Don't be afraid to talk to them and say, you know, soon we're going to be back together. Soon this is going to be over. Hope is a powerful force. Comfort the bereaved with the idea of Christ's return. Look, this is very important. Don't neglect the church, the ecclesia. When you guys are not here, this is not the church. This is an empty building when you ain't here. The church is ek out, classia, to call out the called out ones. This ain't church unless you're here. Don't neglect the church. We're told in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, it says, We should get together to stir one another up to faith and good works, not neglecting the gathering together of ourselves, as is the manner of some. And it says this, especially as you see the day drawing near. That must mean we're able to discern it, that the day is drawing near. Now, look, this is a tough verse because I want to speak to those of you that watch on live stream, those of you who watch on the app. And there's a lot of folks who can't come. There's comorbidities. They're worried about their health, their doctors. That's wisdom. There are some folks who, who don't come because they're just worried about someone else carrying the virus. Some folks are not coming because they're just afraid. And fear and faith don't dwell together well. But we don't want to condemn. But I would say this. The gathering together of ourselves can take place if you watch the live stream with us. You're gathering with us. I don't think you should neglect, if you're watching from home, the opportunity to gather and go through the studies with us. One of our gals here I love, she's about 94, I believe. And she said, you know... In the spring, early, she said, I felt kind of alone. I would watch on the app. I would see the services. You come up, the study starts. But she said, now that there's a live stream, I I sing. I'm part of the worship. I hear the announcements. And she said, I feel like I'm part of the church again. Because I know there's all kinds of people everywhere spread out, gathering with us at the same time. She said, I feel like I'm part of something. If you can't be here, join us online. Get up at 8 o'clock, watch the live stream, then go back to bed again. (laughs) Or you can play the live stream later in the day. No excuse for not gathering, even if you're not here. It's an exhortation. It says, because when we're gathering, it's healthy. The only people who have gained mental and emotional health during the pandemic are the people who have gathered for live worship in congregations. Two newspaper articles have said that. This is healthy for us. Stir one another up to faith and good works. Don't neglect this. Especially if you see the day drawing near. What's the point of signs when it doesn't have an effect on our lives? Jude 
21 and 23 talk about reaching the lost. Pull some out of the fire, do this, you know, just it says reaching out as the day of the Lord approaches. One of the things we have to remember is the lost world out there. This is a great time to reach people. And look, um, you know, sometimes the refor- our Reformed brethren say, ah, these dispensationalists, all they care about is getting out of here. No, no, no. The evangelical reformed church has reached more people than anybody else. And we have an unction to get to the unsaved because we believe Christ is coming soon. And, and that's one thing it says. If we see the signs and we believe that, we should be quicker to share the checkout register. Or instead of yelling at the guy who cuts us out in traffic, appreciating myself, you know, <laughs> you point to your bumper sticker or something, you know, just whatever. Um, be ready. That's important. Be ready. First uh, Thessalonians chapter 5, you have no need, brethren, I write unto you concerning times and seasons. You yourselves know perfectly well that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. When they are saying peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them. It's the same word used in Luke, that that day come upon you suddenly unaware, Luke says. So... We should be ready. That's something that the scripture tells us as we watch and we see what's going on around us. Be ready. Don't be troubled. Again, Matthew 24, Jesus said when he describes these things, let not your heart be troubled. I mean, you, you and I, we, we both know, we all know people that are kind of just so freaked out now. And you're thinking, well, you're a Christian. I understand. I'm concerned about things. I look at what's happening in the world. I think about my kids and my grandkids. I think, what kind of a world are they inheriting? What's going on? But I'm not terrified because I believe my Savior is coming to get me and get them very soon because I see the signs of his return all around me. So and he doesn't want me to live in fear. So he says that here. Not to be unaware, Luke says, don't be overcharged all with eating and drinking and the cares of this life that that day comes upon you unaware. Again, he says, just don't be dull, don't be unaware. And I think Romans is really important where Paul says this. <clears throat> he says, the night is far spent. The day, the day of the Lord is at hand. Let us, therefore, cast off the works of darkness. Let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting, not in drunkenness, not in chambering or in wantonness, not in strife and envy, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Paul says the night is far spent, the day at his hand. We, we recognize where we are. He said one of the things that's important, and obviously he's writing to us more than he was writing to the Romans. You know, if the book was written now, it would be called The Italians, by the way. But, he, you know, he's speaking to the Romans, and he, sa- he says to us, because our salvation is nearer than we first believed. If he could say it to them, he could say it to us. He says this, look, when you see, when you realize the night is almost over, the day it is, is at hand. For all of us, make no provision for the desires of your flesh. You can't be a Christian sleeping with your boyfriend, sleeping with your girlfriend. <laughs> Are you looking around? Do you have any idea what time it is? You can't be getting drunk and getting stoned. Look what's going on around us. 
He says, don't make provision for the desire of the flesh as you see the signs around us. We're in a world right now that is about to see the rapture of the church. And then we can watch the restaurant in the mezzanine. You can say, hey, Joe, you were wrong about that. It's fine. It's good. Fine with me. Fine with me. Once I get there, I can be wrong about it. As long as I'm right about that thing, I can be wrong about everything down here, okay? That's ready to happen. The Antichrist, is he alive today? Not a trick question. I'm asking a question. I don't know. Sometimes I think he is. Sometimes a friend of mine in intelligence told me, look, when you see these big corporate, the world's no longer run, by the way, by national borders. It's run by multinational corporations, by money. Sadly, I'd love to see it come back to national borders for a time anyway. But those people that don't normally get along, that are normally all competitors, are on the same page. My friend, the intelligence community, said that tells us there's a command and control center somewhere else for all those people to be getting along. And he said, I wouldn't be surprised if the Antichrist is alive somewhere. Could be we're that close. If the trumpet blows before the third service, and I hope it does, pandemonium breaks loose to a degree. These things start to move forward. This great deception is going to come on the world when this man of peace shows up with the answers to all of the problems and the explanation about what happened to all of us. Yes, our space brothers came and took away the Christians because there could never be peace on the earth as long as... Fine with me. Space brothers, come down and get me out of here. <laughs> Some deception is going to overtake the world. Okay? How close are we? Is there somebody behind the scenes today giving the orders? question. I don't know. It could be reality. Right? Encourage one another. Pray for one another. Stir one another up. Love one another. Don't neglect church. Don't neglect the community. Don't judge each other. Take it easy on one another. Encourage one another. Encourage the bereaved. Don't make any provision for your flesh. It's not enough just to see signs and say, oh yes, yeah, this is going on. It has to have an effect on the way that we live. Right? Three of us. What's wrong with the rest of you guys? <laughs> Let's stand. Let's pray together. Now read ahead because this this rider on the horse, this fake peace bringer, now introduces war and famine and pestilence. We'll move through those things next week if we're still here, and I hope we're not. Father, I know you've overheard, Lord, we are grinding through these things, and and Lord, they're filled, they speak to us from all different directions, Lord, there's all kinds of treasure here, Lord, for us, Uh, but Lord, we hear you uh, saying you've told us these things so that we would know, and Lord, we, we know that you want that to affect our behavior, Lord, we listen to the weatherman, it determines how we dress and whether we take an umbrella, Lord, we... We listen to the weather for other things. We make plans, Lord, to go on vacation. We do all this other stuff. 
Lord, let these things be real to us, Lord. The world around us is so tangible, Father, that presses on our hearts. Let your Holy Spirit and your word have more impression on us now, Lord, than it ever has, Lord. Lift up our heads, Lord. We know our redemption is drawing nigh. Our inclination, Lord, is to be so fish-drudled. Lord, we look to you. We're dependent upon you, Lord Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen.